really feel the Lord's presence really strong today. And um, I have a message to preach to you, and I'm trying to discern if I'm supposed to preach it or not. Um, Because um, yeah, I'll just say, I'll explain it this way. Um, when you when you get anointed by the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, you get gifts in the Spirit, right? And I've been filled with the Spirit before, and I have I've had gifts before. A year ago, yesterday. <laughs> A year ago yesterday, it was exactly one year ago yesterday, um, I got radically, or as I've said before, severely baptized in the Holy Spirit, severely. And um, I spent a little time yesterday just thanking God for that, um, but I definitely got, I got some new gifts in the Holy Spirit, but I got an, uh, an increase in my awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence and what he's doing and hearing Hearing his voice and just being able to discern what he's doing, um, and and some and with that came even some physical sensations of feeling the Lord's presence in a very strong way, and uh, and then when you sense things like that prophetically, then comes a discernment process of what is the Lord? What are you doing right now? What are you trying to say? What are you wanting to do in the room? And. Um, it's interesting, you know. It's a learning process uh, when you're uh, growing in those when in those gifts, and so um, that's. I, I'm just trying to um, explain to you all what I'm experiencing up here, uh, rather than just standing here in silence and and have you all, especially people who uh, maybe are new to Holy Spirit, um, wondering what the heck's going on and why is he just standing there. Um, it's also when you're, we've talked about this in our staff meetings, when you enter into worship and you really enter in and you come in to a deep place with God and the more you do that, the quicker you can get into that deep place, if that makes sense. It's kind of like when you um, first meet a young lady and fall in love and you want to get to that deep place, um, if you know what I mean, and but you don't know each other, so there's you want to get to know each other, and there's there's it, it takes time, you know. Um, but the longer you're married and and the longer you're together, you can get to that deep place more quickly, uh, if that makes sense. And so intimacy is really what I'm talking about, and it's the same with the Lord. And uh, when you enter into a deep place in worship, man, time just flies by. That worship set felt like two minutes to me. And uh, some of you know what I mean, and you're going, yeah, me too. Others of you were like, that felt like an eternity. And all I'm saying is when, you, when deep calls to deep, spirit touches spirit with the Lord, hours fly by, and then it can be really hard to come out of that place and try to, what was I going to preach about, you know, because I just want to sit there and pray and worship the whole time. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been experiencing up here on the platform form today, um, and I'm explaining that to you while trying to discern what the Lord wants me to do to finish this service. Yeah, I guess I'm going to preach my message, so thanks for being patient. Let me just pray one more time. Lord, we just thank you for our time together, and God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we long for you to pour out Jesus. We long for you to pour out. Oh, Jesus, we long for you to pour out. Because apart from you, we can do nothing. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And when you pour out, God... People get saved, people get healed, people get delivered, people get set free. (sighs) 
people get established in their faith. People get marked. (laughs) There it is. They get marked by your presence. So God, I pray for all those here today who everything I just said the last four or five minutes or so have no idea what I'm talking about. I pray you would mark them today. In fact, I mark you today in the name of Jesus. You are marked because this is a blessing and it's the Lord's will for your life to be marked by him, to be set apart, and to be baptized. Mm. <laughs> I, I, in the name of Jesus, I just mark you uh, to be severely baptized in the Holy Spirit and to surrender yourself to that. And, Lord, I thank you. And so the picture the Lord's reminding me of is, like in the Air Force, there's guys that have these lasers, and they shoot the lasers at a target. And that's the planes with the bombs on them. That's where they know to drop the bomb. And then the bombs actually are smart bombs. And when they drop the bombs or when they shoot them, they call it painting a target with that laser. And that's what I'm doing today to you. <laughs> and uh, so I thank you, God, that our church is marked. That's what the Lord is saying. Our church is marked. <laughs> thank you, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would send angels to keep that laser on us. Um, no matter where we go when we leave this place that our church is marked by you for glory and you are going to drop a napalm bomb of the Holy Spirit on this place and on this people when you see fit. So we thank you for that, God. And we say, do it soon. And everybody that isn't somewhat terrified of what I just prayed said, amen. All right. Sounds like you're with me. So, I want to talk to you today. Um, The Lord gave me a message called Lessons from Asbury. Understanding the Times is the subtitle. And when, when he dropped this in my spirit, it was just the title. I've often said when the Lord gives you a download, for me anyways, it's like a zip file. You know, and, and it's just a little seed, it's a little thought, it's a little title, it's a scripture, it's this, it's that. And you click on that eventually when you take time to sit down and go, what did you mean by this? You click on it and blah, there's like seven gigs of information in there. And, and then he reveals why, why he gave you that. And so when he gave me this title, Lessons from Asbury, I was like, I don't want to talk about Asbury. <laughs> it's over. Like, um, I, I just didn't want, I just didn't feel a lot of life towards that, but I knew it was the Lord. And, and so when I finally got time to sit with it, uh, boo, the zip file opened and there was a whole lot of info in there and a whole lot that God was showing me. And so really this sermon is about understanding the times, discerning what God is doing right now in our generation because uh, God is doing something and Asbury is a sign of that. So I'm going to kind of use Asbury as an example of, of discerning the times. Um, and what God is doing right now in our culture and in our generation. Um, so if you have a Bible, turn to First Chronicles 12. We're going to look at just a couple verses in this, but we're going to be jumping around at a few different scriptures today. First Chronicles 12. I'm going to read verse 23 and then verse 32. So this is where we're at in the Bible story is David has become king, and but there's war between the house of David and the house of Saul. Because the house of Saul is still trying to hold on to power, right? Even after Saul passed away. And David becomes king of Judah, but then there's war. And um, more and more people are coming over to David's side. Because they know that he's the rightful king. The next king that's, that God anointed, that God chose. Um, and so this is what it says, verse 23 of First Chronicles chapter 12. It says, These are the numbers of men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him. As the Lord had said, and it starts listing all these men, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of men coming over to David's army. And down in verse 32, it said, and it's every tribe of the nation of Israel are coming over to him, right? But in verse 32, it highlights from Ishakar, which is one of the tribes of Israel, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 
200 chiefs with all their relatives under the command, and then it lists. I want to highlight, though, what it says here. These were men who understood the times, and therefore they knew what they should do. They understood the times, and they knew what they should do. Have you ever felt like you and God are not on the same page? I kind of felt like that just now. I'm like, am I on the right page here? What are we doing in this service? What do you want me to be doing? I feel your presence, Holy Spirit. I just want to sit here and pray and worship, but I have a sermon to preach. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Or am I on the same page? Have you ever felt that way? Like, for example, you feel like the Lord tells you to do something, and you get out there and you do it. You're like, this is going to be amazing. Probably the whole world's going to come to Jesus because of this. And you get out there, and you start doing it, and nothing happens. And it feels like there's no grace, there's no favor on it. And you're just like, are you up there? You told me to do this right? Where are you? Nothing's happening with this. Anybody ever had that happen? Or maybe you see some, some things going on and you're like, oh, wow, God's moving. And, and oh, I remember a time when he told me to do some of what's going on. So you jump in on it. But by the time you jump in on it, it's over. And then, and then you're like, I think I missed it. Anybody ever have that happen? You're like, God, am I on the right page with you? Some of you, how many of you got to go to Asbury while it was going on? Awesome. How many of you about two weeks in when you're like, man, there's a lot of people. Man, I keep hearing them. I saw all over my news. I think I'm going to go. And then you found out, oh, it's over. Anybody? Anybody? Don't want to admit it. There's a lot of you. You don't want to raise your hand right now. Right? You ever feel like you're not on the same page with God? It's really important. when, As God is writing the story of history, and as he's writing the story of your life, to be on the same page. Are you on the same page in the story that he's writing? The same page? Or are you like trying to jump seven chapters ahead? God told me what my calling is, and I, I got to do it now. And I can't wait till I'm 30. I'm getting old, right? I got to do it now. I got I to gotta buy the house now. I got to get married now. I got to have sex now. I got I to gotta do all the things now. Wait a sec. Oh, I ran out of room here. But are you jumping ahead? Or like so many people, are you living way back in chapter two, the biggest, you know, the chapter where you had the biggest failure of your life? And God's like, but what am I, forget about chapter two, I'm here, I'm in chapter seven, you know, where I redeem you, and and you step into the fullness of my calling, and, and your greatest failure becomes your greatest testimony, that's the chapter I'm on, why are you still back here thinking, I can't do it, I had this failure? It's really important to be on the same page as God. There's a man in scripture, quite a famous man. Other than Jesus, one of the greatest men in scripture in history, who he did the tried to do the right thing, but it was the wrong time, and it had catastrophic consequences. It was Moses. Do you know Moses knew, he knew when he was 40 years old that he was Israel's redeemer? And that God was using him, going to use him to deliver the nation and bring him out of slavery. Did you know he knew that? And he was correct in discerning his calling. Acts chapter 7, 23 through 25. This is Stephen telling the story of Moses. And he says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Verse 25, listen to this. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Why did Moses think that? He was an Israelite. He knew the oral history of his people. He knew God told Abraham that your people are going to live in a country not their own, enslaved 400 years. We know from Scripture, it says when they came out of the Promised Land, when Moses was 80 years old, they had been there 430 years. That's what Scripture says in uh, Exodus 12, verse 40. They had been there 430 years. Now think about that. God said they'll be there 400 years. They were there 430 years, which means what? They came out late. Now, Moses was 80, which means when he was born, they had been there 350 years. Which means when he was 40, they had been there 390 years. So here's Moses going, think about this. 
He's also the only male Hebrew in his generation. And he's looking around going, I'm the only man around. I was miraculously saved. God's providence, my own mother raised me, and they didn't know she was my mother. Then I was raised in Pharaoh's household. I was trained in all the ways of the Egyptians. I know how these people think. I know why they do what they do. If anyone can be a liaison between Egypt and the Hebrews, it's me. And he realizes this at 40, and he goes out, and he sees them being severely mistreated. And his heart is just breaking, and he gets angry. And he he goes, this is it. I'm the one who's called to do something about this. And he was correct in what he was supposed to do. He was correct in what he was supposed to do. But it wasn't the right time. And because it wasn't the right time and he got impatient, he took matters into his own hands and he did God's will, but he did it his own way. He tried to save the people, but he did it by killing an Egyptian, which was not what God wanted him to do. And so he kills the Egyptian, and he's like, this is it. They're going to realize that I'm the deliverer. And he quickly found out he got ahead of God, and there was no grace and favor on his actions. And so the people were like, who are you? You think you're going to be our leader? Who, who made you lord over us? And he goes, uh-oh. <laughs> and he flees and lives on the backside of a desert for 40 years thinking he's completely screwed up God's will for his life, which, to be honest with you, he did completely screw up God's will for his life. And then, one day, God, after 40 years, 40 years later, God comes along, lights a burning bush on fire, lights a bush on fire, Moses comes over, like, what's going on here? Has a conversation with God, God's like, you were right, you were the, you are the one, you were the one, you are the one, now's the time, now's the time, go save the people, I'm sending you. Well, now he doesn't want to do it because of his failure. And his failure caused him to think so little of himself, he doesn't even want to do it anymore. God, please send someone else. I've, I gave up that dream. That dream is 40 years dead. Please use somebody else. I would ask for a show. Anybody ever radically screw up God's will for your life? <laughs> Oh, some honest people. Moses really screwed it up. But praise God, he's the God of redemption and grace. That even if you screw up his will for your life, he can still make way. He can still redeem it. That's his grace. But my point is, Moses was early. And because he had the wrong time, he got impatient and he did it the wrong way. And he messed some stuff up. Last week, we heard an awesome message from Eric Newberry called What Jesus Said to Do. We need to know what Jesus said to do. Amen? We need to know what we're to be doing. And it was a great message, and if you missed it, you should go listen to it. But we also need to know, just as importantly, the time of when God calls us to do something. Because you can plant in the winter... But that seed will not bear fruit. You can try to harvest here in a few weeks. But it's too late. The harvest is rotting in the ground. Time to start over. You can do the right thing at the wrong time and it won't bear fruit. God knows the times and seasons of our lives. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 through 8 says, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Notice these are polar opposites. And what God is saying, there's a time for everything under the sun. You need to know not just what to do, you need to know the right time to do it. So do you know what time it is? 
Go ahead and ask your neighbor. Everybody ask your neighbor real quick, what time is it? And give them a real answer. Give them a real answer. Ask them what time it is. Everybody get it really quick. And then everybody shout at me when you get it. Tell me what time it is. 10.13. Is that what, is that what we're doing? That's closer. What time is it? I'm not talking about the time. I'm talking about what time is it. You know what time it is? It's game time. Somebody got it right. What do I mean by that? It's time to hear a message from the word of God. It's time to open up your heart and let him plant a seed that will change your life. That's what time it is. That's what time it is. Discerning the times is not about what time. It's about what time. So what is God doing in your heart right now? What is he doing in your life? Where are you at prophetically on your journey? Numbers 33 says they recorded the stages of their journey through the wilderness. There are stages on our spiritual journey with Jesus. So where are you at on your journey with Jesus? Are you still in Egypt in slavery? Are you in your wilderness season? Where you're not really called to do anything. You're not supposed to be doing your calling. Your calling in the wilderness is to sit at the feet of God, at Jesus, sit at the mountain and learn and soak it in and learn how to worship and learn how to obey and get your character straight and get your character right and learn how to trust him. That's the wilderness season. That's what it's for. Learn how to depend on him. Then when you step into the promised land, you'll know it's not you. You'll know who to give glory to, and then you, but it's also time to get to work. The manna stopped falling the day they stepped into the promised land. Yeah, <laughs> now you got to work. Promised land's great. It's a great season, but you better get ready to work. In the desert, they had no work. They got up every day. Their food was on the ground. They just, they just scooped it, and then they went in their tent and cooked it, and like, oh, manna again. But hey, praise God, we don't even have to work. We don't have to do anything. He made the water flow. Just go out to the, go out to the river that God made flow right past my tent. They had no work to do for 40 years. Because their work was learning, receiving, intimacy, learning Jesus, learning God. Do you know what season you're in? Do you know what time it is in your own life? Because God knows the times and seasons. Here's the good news. God wants you to know the times of your life. He wants you to get it right. He doesn't want you to mess it up. He wants you to learn it the easy way, as I tell my kids. You can do this the easy way or the hard way. You know, I'm convinced the right time for Moses was 400 years. He would have been 50 years old. So at 40 years old, if he goes out and his heart gets broken, then he starts a process of interceding with Pharaoh. And I, I believe 10 years later, if he had done it God's way, they'd be marching out right on, right on time. And praise God, he still did it, even though they were, quote unquote, late, right? Praise God for his grace. But man, Moses had to learn the hard way. And man, it's heartbreaking. And, and I'm, I've reached a place in my life where I want to hear the Spirit's voice and I want to do immediately what he's saying because I am so sick and tired and done of learning the hard way because I've done it enough. And so as a dad, I'm like, kids, love Jesus, do whatever he wants fully, like all the time, right? Why do you think Jesus was only here three years and we're still talking about him. And over a third of the world's people are adherents to, uh, to his, what he taught us. He only did ministry, rather, for three years. Three years, right? More impact than any, anybody else in history who did ministry for 30 or 40 or 50 years. Why is that? Because he knew the exact right time. He waited till he was 30. And he wasn't doing nothing. For 30 years. He was, it says at 12 years old, Jesus was sitting with the rabbis at the temple. And they were amazed by his understanding. Rabbis with doctorate degrees in Bible were amazed by Jesus' understanding at 12 years old. Young people, children in this room. The season you're in is one of training and learning and growing. And Jesus, by 12, knew his Bible inside out, backwards and forwards. It's a season of training. And he, he trained perfectly. And then at 30, boom, perfect time started, right? And because he only did what he heard the Father, uh, he only 
said what he heard the Father saying. He only did what he saw him doing. He just went from glory to glory, faith to faith, right? Three years, amazing ministry. He's like, boom, I'm out. Done my work, right? And so it's important to know the times and seasons. So God wants you to know the times and seasons. So God has a process. This is how God works. And this is really the heart of this message. You see a what I would call a prophetic pattern in Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. And God is still using it today. This is how God works. This is how we need know and can discern the times and seasons. I'm going to, four, four parts to this, okay? We're going to go through them quickly. Then we're going to talk about Asbury. Then we're going to land this plane, okay? So, four parts of God's, how God works, right? To, to reveal to us what he's doing and what he wants. Number one, God decides sovereignly. God has decided to do something. Number two, prophets proclaim it. Number three, people pray. And number four, God performs it. So let's go through it again, and then we're going to talk about each one. Okay? God decides, prophets proclaim. Why don't you say it with me? God decides, prophets proclaim, people pray, God performs. Get the P in there. It'll be easier to remember. God does it. It's the same thing, but... Spent a lot of time getting those peas in there. No, I didn't. So God decides, prophets proclaim, people pray, God performs. So let's talk about this process briefly. Number one, God decides. God sovereignly initiates and says, I'm going to do something. I've decided I'm going to do something, okay? Um, there's two types of God's will. There's a lot to unpack here, so I'm gonna, this is a super brief overview. And, and theologians can break it down into three or four types of God's will. I'm going to say two. His sovereign will and his permissive will. And different theologians use different names for this. God's sovereign will is he has decided, he has proclaimed, and he will do it. And it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter if you agree with him or you get saved or you come into alignment with his plan and purpose. He doesn't care what you do or what people do. He is going to do it. That is God's sovereign will. Most of the time, this has to do with the gospel. So Genesis 3.15, people have messed up. God says, you know, it's Satan's fault. And he says, hey, the seed, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, and her seed will crush your head. There's going to be a man, one man, born of woman, who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus, when he was born, he's the fulfillment of that. And he said, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. So God pronounced in the third chapter, this is what is going to happen. It doesn't matter if you agree with me or not. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. It doesn't matter if you believe or not. It's going to happen, okay? Jesus is coming, and Jesus came. Here's another part of God's sovereign will. Jesus came, and he is coming back. And in the same way that the disciples saw him go, that's how he's coming back. He ascended. He's coming back down. Riding on a cloud, every eye will see him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn at the great and terrible day of the Lord. Why? Because it's judgment time, and the majority of people on earth don't believe in him, and they'll know, oh crap, the Christians were right. And they will mourn, and they will go into caves in the ground, and they will cry out for the rocks and the mountains to cover them, because the judge is coming. And we, we, we mocked his people. We mocked his word. We didn't listen. They just loved us. They tried to help us. They told us the truth. We ignored it. We made fun of it. Oh, I'm an atheist. Oh, I think I'm so smart. Oh, crap, I was wrong. And now it's too late. That will happen. And then all of us will be eternally, we will be judged. It will happen. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. Doesn't matter if you accept Christ or not. That is going to happen. It's God's sovereign will. Now, his permissive will is what he wants to happen. But he's given you and I free will to choose, right? So that's what that deals with. So God still has a desire, right? And so that's where I want to, most of what we're talking about today is dealing with God's permissive will. There are people who are going to have to agree with God's sovereign will to bring about God's sovereign will, right? But if Jesus wants you to participate in that, to bring it to pass, like to haste the day, right? So all nations on earth have to hear the gospel for Jesus to come back. Jesus said it. So he's going to call some of you to go be missionaries to reach unreached peoples to haste the day of the Lord, 
you know, accomplish the mission. Let's, let's tell the word of God and the good news about Jesus to every nation, tribe, language, so on and so forth. He might call you. Now you have a choice whether to respond to that call. Now it's God's sovereign will that that's going to happen. He said it. But if you say, ah, whether because of fear or unbelief or whatever, you decide I'm not going to participate in this in your plans for my life. God goes, okay. It, I think it breaks his heart. I think it grieves him. But he goes, all right, I'll find someone else. And he does. But you have a choice. Now, God makes clear in his word that he calls all of us. We all have a calling. We all have good works prepared in advance for us to do that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Are you doing them? And do you know the times that he wants you to be doing them? That's what I'm getting at. This is God's, what I would call his permissive will. You have a choice whether or not to participate with him. Salvation. 1 Timothy 2.4 is a great example. God's desire is that all people are saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's God's will. But when we say that, modern Christianity has been so affected by Calvinism from the Reformation in the 1500s. This is why we're prayerless. This is why the church is prayerless, especially in cultures and regions where Calvinism is fully taken root. And I'm not knocking Calvinism. I really admire a lot of great Calvinists. But when you... The greatest prayer warriors on earth are typically not Calvinists. Why is that? Calvinism, by the way, I don't have time to get into it, but everything's predetermined. God's sovereign, he's going to do what he wants. If that's, if you, when you say God's will, if you think God's sovereign will every time, why pray? My prayers don't matter. He's going to do what he wants. Right? Here's the truth. God is sovereign. We have free will. It's a both and I've jokingly said at times I'm a Calvinist Armenian. And a true Calvinist would be like, you can't say that. That's not, you can't be. I think both is the world we're living in. So God has some sovereign things. He is sovereign, first of all. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He has a sovereign will, which he said in his word. But then there's his permissive will. So are you going to participate with it or not? And that's the question. And, and to participate, you have to know what it is. And God will often tell you what it is before he reveals the time. And then you start a process of discerning the time. Okay? He has a will for you as an individual, but he also has a will for churches, people to come together, work together. He has a will. He has a plan for our church, for this community, for the culture. And then he has times and seasons of things he's going to do on the earth. And that's what I want to get into when we talk about the Asbury aspect. Um, So God's will, okay? His sovereign will, his permissive will. You need to know what his will is for your life and the times that he's calling you to do certain things. So God God decides, this is what I want. God knows the plans he has for you, declares the Lord, right? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope in the future. God has plans, Our first job is to understand that he wants to do some things. It's not about our plans. It's about his plan. So God decides to do something. Then prophets proclaim. So God in his grace will reveal his will to people who who care about him, love him, and are paying attention. The Lord confides in those who fear him. That is one of the most precious scriptures and promises of God and realities. If you fear the Lord, if you love him, if you really care about him, he'll confide in you. He'll be like, hey, not everybody knows this because a whole lot of people don't love me, but I'm going to tell you, um, this is what I want to do. You just became a prophet. Now you know. Now in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, very few prophets, very few, right? Very, very few. Whole hundreds of years where there were none, right, at different periods. New Covenant, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Even on servants, men and women. Everybody. Everybody. Why? Because in New Covenant, we all have Holy Spirit, and we're meant to be able to hear his voice. And that's generically uh, what we would call being prophetic, learning to hear and discern the voice of God when he's speaking to you. And so God whispers, God tells what he wants to do. He reveals his plans to the prophets. 
Listen to this verse, Amos 3, verse 7. This is a statement of fact, all right? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. This is God's prophetic pattern, and I'm telling you, it's still going on today. Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He's not talking about knowledge about science or the way the world works. My people get destroyed, God says, because they quit paying attention to me. They're not discerning what I want. And they're living in ways that I don't want them to live. And they end up paying a dear price for that. They're destroyed for lack of prophetic knowledge. Okay? So God decides. He tells prophets. And by the way, when God tells you things... There's, and there's discernment in all of this, by the way. But there comes a point where you need to reveal it and reveal what the Lord is wanting and what he's wanting to do. So prophets are called to proclaim. And like I said, we, dis- we have to discern, okay? So when you're dealing with scripture, the old prop- the uh, major prophets, minor prophets, the prophetic books, you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about in, this, in the scriptures, we're mainly, mainly dealing with God's sovereign will. Okay, that's why it's scripture. This will happen. <laughs> you ain't changing this. You're not adding to this. You're not taking away from it. Here's the deal. A lot of cessationists in our culture today, modern Christian people who don't believe the Holy Spirit's doing what he's always done, today, when you start talking about prophecy, they get all shifty. They don't like it. And, and this is one of the arguments. We don't prophesy today. That's adding to scripture. That's a misunderstanding of what prophecy is in the new covenant. Okay? You're not adding to scripture. You're, you're speaking specifically into the specifics of a person's life or a culture or a time or a season in accordance with the sovereign will of God. Sovereign will of God primarily speaks to broad things. But, you know, Jeff's, the, God's will for Jeff's life is not in scripture, Right? Specifically, the generic will. Live a moral life. Obey Jesus. Make disciples. Okay, how do you want me to specifically do it? It's not in here. If every one of our specific will uh, plans God has for us was in here, this book would be too, too big to read. And we would never read it. So God's pretty smart. He knew that. I'm giving you the basics. I'm giving you the broad framework. But man, how are you going to figure out the specifics of the broad framework for you? It's almost, I know, I'll put myself in you. And Holy Spirit will help you discern this for you specifically in your times and seasons in your culture. That's how this works, okay? So we have to discern. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. Do not quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Again, it's not talking about scripture. See, the guys who say, um, prophecy is not for today. It adds to scripture. Well, then Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21 doesn't make any sense. That would be saying you got to test scripture. We don't test scripture. Scripture scripture, right? You don't have to test this. This is written. It is written. This is solid. What are we testing? People who are being moved by a spirit, whether it's their spirit, their own heart, right? Their own spirit, the demonic spirit, or the Holy Spirit. And they utter something inspired, like Matt got up here. He says this. This is what the Lord's doing. And immediately, I, I felt things. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, mm, God's on this, you know. I'm discerning. And what is, is, he, is what he's saying in alignment with the word of God? Absolutely. That's the first test, right? Is this what God's doing right now? Oh, I think it is. <laughs> and we need to spend some time on this, right? And I don't know if you saw it, but as soon as he stepped down, before I said what I said later on, Someone came up and knelt down, and they're, they're get, God's dealing with someone, right? And I was like, yep, yep, God's moving. This is what we're doing, right? This is what the Spirit's doing right now. So there's a discernment process. Don't quench the Spirit, and don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. Those are related ideas. So when we disdain prophecy in general, modern-day Holy Spirit prophecy, we, are, we begin to quench the Spirit, when we quench the spirit, uh, I think we're getting a little feedback here. Um, when we quench the spirit, we start to lose our discernment. 
Then we don't know what the times are going on. Then we'll criticize the move of God instead of participate in it. Then we'll come under God's judgment and discipline instead of his blessing and favor. So, we need to discern when prophetic people share, is this what the Lord's doing, right? By the way, here's, here, I heard somebody say this once. This is really good. Um, some of you might have family or friends that don't get into Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts in our day. And here's what's interesting. Even pastors who are cessationists who are like, don't get into that. And who say, that's not for today. Stay away from prophecy. You're speaking in tongues. Ah, oh, it's scary. God's not doing that. It's not the Lord. Here's the deal. Ask those guys, how did you know God was calling you to the ministry? Just ask them that question. How did you know? Whatever they say, yeah, yeah, but how did you know? Yeah, yeah, but how did you know? And pretty soon you're going to arrive at, well, I just felt like the Lord the Holy Spirit, the, I just, you know, I was discerning from these things in my life, and I just, you know, I just realized this is what God wants me to do. How did you realize that? How did you know it was the Lord? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So they might not use the same words that we use. And here's my conviction. I want to use the words the Bible uses. So if the Bible calls things prophecy, when you speak forth a word that's inspired of the Holy Spirit, that's an encouragement or direction for people specifically, it's called prophecy, okay? So let's just call it what the Bible calls it, right? That's my conviction. Amen? All right. Anyways, sorry, that's a, that's a soapbox. So, last, so then next, next step in God's process, people pray. So God reveals what he wants to do, then we pray for him to do it. Why is that important? If God's sovereign, he wants to do it. No, this is, prayer is us coming into agreement asking for it. It's our spirit giving God permission. Why is that important? Because it's his permissive will. We have free will. This is what I want to do on the earth. I desire every single person gets saved. Please let me save you. How do we get saved? Jesus is my Lord. It's a prayer. It's a declarative prayer. Jesus save me. Be my Lord. I'm giving you permission. Because God gave the earth to mankind, he gave us authority, he gave us authority of our own lives, and we have free will. So God longs to do way more than we see him doing, mostly because so many people don't come into agreement with his will. Coming into agreement with his will starts with prayer. We see, oh, this is what God wants to do. Oh, that would be amazing. Heaven on earth would be way better than earth on earth, right? Sin on earth, evil on earth. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. We want heaven on earth. God wants heaven on earth. That's what God wants. That's his will. That's his desire. And Jesus said, you need to start praying it. Because that's the beginning. And usually as you're praying, you become convicted in ways that you're not participating with heaven on earth. And then that's called repentance. You need to repent and get in line with it, right? So people pray. John Wesley said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Matthew Henry said, when God is preparing to do something great in the earth, he first of all sets his people a-praying. Love that. Sets his people a-praying. Charles Spurgeon said, whenever God determines to do a great work, he first sets his people to pray. A lot of great men of the past who God used in mighty ways said, man, when God wants to do something, he first sets his people to praying. How do they know what to pray for, though? A prophet proclaimed it. Now, sometimes God's the prophet. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Trust in me. Your people will be enslaved 400 years. Direct prophecy from God himself, right? And you have that direct line through the Holy Spirit, praise God. And a lot of prophecy in here. God has spoken, right? Read it, know it, live in it. So lastly, God performs. This is really important. As we're praying, we're usually repenting, bringing our lives into greater alignment to see what God wants to happen on earth. But... For the fullness of it to happen, God has to do it. Not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. God performs it. If you start praying and you think you're going to perform it, you get Moses killing an Egyptian. You need to wait on the Lord. You need to wait on the right time. He'll tell you the right time. And when it was the right time, God's like, now go, Moses. He's like, I don't even want to. This ain't even going to work. They're not even going to believe me. God goes like, just go. And from a man who was not even willing, didn't even want to know, he had no desire, he had no hope for it, boom, miracles start breaking out. Why? Because God was doing it. 
not Moses. Moses was just saying stuff. Moses just took his staff and just went like this. All right, God, we're stuck. Okay, we need help. Okay, do this. (sighs) Water's part. Because God was performing it. And so God performs it, all right? So that's his process. God decides, prophets proclaim, people pray. God performs. So with that in mind, let's talk about Asbury real quick, okay? Lessons from Asbury. I'm going to go through these quickly. Number one, so many of God's pastors and people presently do not know how to discern what God's doing, the times and seasons, what I just talked about. And it's largely because of people who are not tuned in the Holy Spirit and churches that do not believe in, press into the gifts, power of the Holy Spirit, specifically prophecy uh, for our day. They quench the Spirit. And then they end up criticizing the mood of God, move of God instead of participating in it. So first lesson from Asbury, I saw a whole lot of people criticizing it. Christian people, leaders, Christian leaders. Well, we're not sure this can be a move of God. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out when it's over if it was a move of God, says the person that doesn't know how to discern so they don't get to participate in it. And then 10 years later, they go, I guess it was a move of God. Good thing I was so skeptical and critical that it kept me from participating in it. Their hearts are hard. (laughs) Their hearts are hard against the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus. And so, be very, Jesus said, consider carefully how you listen. And the context of how you listen was what type of soil your heart is. If you want to be good soil that bears good fruit, he said, consider carefully how you listen. Don't listen skeptically. That's hard soil. That's, that seed falls, that's a good seed. This is a good word I'm preaching today. And my job is not to get you to believe it, to convince you. I can't do that. The Lord's got to open your heart for that seed to grow and flourish. But you have a choice in that as well. So we need to stay sensitive and we need to stay discerning close to the Lord's heart. Number two lesson, consistent, committed faithfulness in the quote-unquote ordinary things leads to the spontaneous, extraordinary moves of God. Okay? I'm going to say that again. Consistent, committed faithfulness in the ordinary things leads to the spontaneous, extraordinary moves of God. How did Asbury happen? I saw a post where somebody said, hey, if you want to, pastors, you know, Pastors, if you want to experience what happened to Asbury, throw the program out and just go after God, right? And I went, hmm, hmm, except that's not how Asbury happened. How did Asbury happen? People showed up three times a week for chapel service. They sang, they prayed, they worshiped, they heard a word. They'd been doing that for, for generations at that school. And on this one particular Wednesday, they did it again. Guy got up, he preached a very normal sermon out of Romans 12. He gave a very simple invitation. He said, if you want prayer, come on up. Amen. And he walks out very, very normal routine day. But what was done in that service, the Holy Spirit took and planted in the hearts of about 20 students who responded to that message, who stayed after, who prayed and worshiped. And then boom. Boom. Over about two weeks, they said between 50 and 100,000 people from all over the world converged on Asbury. The last day that they were allowing the public, there was 20,000 people there at one time. They shut the town down, right? You couldn't, their buildings would only hold a few thousand. There's people everywhere. I don't know if you saw those pictures. God is moving. How many of you know that's not, they weren't <laughs> paying marketing to get people to come. This is a move of God. Oh, I'm not sure how I can be sure it's a move of God. I don't know. Maybe they're just worshiping, preaching the word of God, giving a few testimonies. People are repenting. Miracles are happening. And people are coming from all over the world. Sounds like a Pentecost to me. It's not that hard to discern when you don't have religious criticisms as your framework. Just judge it for what it is. And when you're not so denominationally entrenched that you have to be critical of anything that's not your denomination. That's another problem, Right? God's moving. That's awesome. But listen, it was the normal thing. 
if they were like, ah, imagine the guy that preaches, like, I don't want to do it today. Imagine the kids. Right, we're not going to chapel today. We're skipping. I skipped chapel all the time when I was in school. I went to a Christian college. We had chapel three times a week. If you skipped so much, then you had to make it up so you could graduate. So I made it up. But they didn't skip that day. They were committed to the everyday faithfulness of Jesus, right? Pentecost happened the same way, by the way. Jesus said, in a few days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Awesome. That's going to be great when it happens. I'm going to go fishing and just have some fun until it happens. No, Jesus, the consummate prophet, prophesied. God has decided to do something. He decided it over 500 years ago through the prophet Joel. He announced it over 500 years prior. Jesus is like, I'm here. It's, it's time for this now, what Joel talked about. And I'm telling you, in a few days, this is going to happen. And what was their response? We need to pray. See the pattern? God decided. Jesus, the prophet, proclaimed. His people prayed. And then God performed it. That's Pentecost. That's the pattern. This is what God is doing. But they were faithful. They were faithful. You want to see God move in a big way? There's, there's a danger in especially more charismatic circles where you just want an experience from God. Move in a big way, God! And if he doesn't, you disdain the small faithfulness. And then sometimes you criticize it as, well, that's just religion. Spiritual disciplines are important. Spending time with Jesus on a day-to-day basis is important. Showing up at church, even if you feel like your church is dry and nothing's happening, it's important. Nothing's never going to happen if you're not there. Do you have enough faith to show up? Do you have enough faith to worship when it's difficult through the dry seasons? So committed faithfulness in ordinary times leads to extraordinary moves of God. Third lesson, revival takes many forms, and the form is not as important as the function. So one of the cool things about Asbury was, and you saw it all over social, they just had a piano, an acoustic guitar, a couple singers, a box drum, and they're just going after God, right? And yes, God is teaching us a lesson. You don't need all the lights and the fog machines and the, and the, and the electric guitars. on. You don't need it, but don't make the other mistake of crit- judging it. Don't make the other mistake of, well, unless we do it like Asbury with just an acoustic guitar and a piano and a box drum and we get rid of all the stuff, God's not going to move because that's how God moves. You know, it's interesting. Asbury was primarily characterized by worship the majority of the time with little smatterings of other things. When you study the great revivals of the past, they all had different emphases. Emphases? English teacher, I <laughs> know she's like, move on, okay. Some were emphasized by worship primarily. Asbury, there was, there were others. Uh, the Wales revival, Welsh revival, lot mainly worship. God just moved, right? Some were characterized by preaching. Some were characterized by speaking in tongues. Some were characterized by people swooning, as they called it in the old days, the eighteen hundreds. That's called falling out in the Holy Spirit, right? They call it swooning. <laughs> They're out, but they get up different. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Form is not as important as function. And one of the dangers of a revival is you make the form an idol. You try to, oh, we're going to do what they did to get the result they had. And the Holy Spirit goes, oh, you're not trusting me now. You're going to make that an idol. That is Gideon's ephod. Go read that story. (sighs) Last lesson that I want to talk about is Asbury is a sign. This is the most important one. It's a sign. This is what God is doing. It's time for revival. In our culture, right now, in America, it's time. When you get home today or as soon as you leave, not right now, not while I'm talking, you need to Google Bob Jones' Revival Man Prophecy. He was a prophet of God who lived a few decades ago. He died uh, a few years ago. But throughout um, the 80s and 90s, he was prophesying quite a bit. And the state of Ohio in particular, if you read this prophecy, he said there's going to be a great revival. He saw a, man, a giant laying down. That um, He said it, it was like Gulliver's Travels, right? And uh, if that, in that book or that movie, the, the giant is laying down Gulliver and all these 
small people are holding him down with all these little ropes and stuff. And he said, these are small-minded people of small faith holding down what God wants to do. But eventually this man gets up in this vision or dream he had. But the man was laying primarily in the state of Ohio. Bob Jones is not from Ohio. He's not like O-H-I-O. He's not a Buckeye. He had no reason to like think Ohio was special. He's just saying this is what God's doing. And ever since I heard this prophecy, I'm like, we are supposed to be a part of this. I don't know how. I don't know what form. But we're supposed to be a part of this. Our church is going to play a role in this. We're going to participate in this. And there's a lot more to it that you can go Google it. Um, but it's time. It's time. It's time for revival. It's time for revival. 2020, COVID hit. When the enemy sees God moving, he comes against what God is doing. And what do you know? COVID happens. When it was 350 years in, in uh, Egypt, uh, hey, Pharaoh, start killing all the male babies. It, we're getting real close to time. And if he's going to be an adult when it's 400, now's the time. We need to start killing all the babies. See what I'm saying? So God's been preparing revival. By the way, it's been prophesied in the prophetic community of the kingdom. Church. Uh, revival's coming, right? That's biblical, by the way, because John in Revelation saw a great multitude. He said, who are these? These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. So Bob Jones and many others, many others have said in the in times, at the very end, there's going to be a great billion-hole harvest. It's going to be the greatest revival there was ever known. That's biblical. Revelation talks about it, okay? And what I'm saying to you is, I, I don't know if this is it, like the end times revival, but it is a season of revival. So God's wanting to do it. Satan comes against, what do you know, COVID, fear, all this horrible stuff on the earth. What did that do to God's people? Let's pray. Our church in particular, and not just us, but I saw it all over the earth, more churches and more Christians praying through 2020 than, than I'd ever seen in my lifetime, right? Pray, 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 pray. And we didn't stop. We've only increased in prayer. What are we praying for? We need revival. We need revival. This world's getting bad. Look at it out there. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. We need revival. Pray, 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 pray. We're coming into agreement. Asbury is a sign. God's like, the bowls are full. They're tipping. Revival's coming. And it's already spreading. And I praise God it's already starting in our church. It has already started in our church. But the river is flowing. But, man, it's just a trickle right now. There's so much more. And we need to press in. So this is what God's doing. It's time. This is what he's saying. So what do you do? How do you respond once you understand the times and what God's doing? Lord willing, if he wants us to, that's what we'll talk about next week. Um, but it's time. It's time for revival. I think we have something. Somebody's going to share something. So I'm going to turn it over to Ruth, and then we'll pray. Hi, guys. This is Ryan. And um, well, I'm just going to let Ryan share with you what the Lord has been downloading to him this morning. Okay. Um, Aaron, I just first, uh, you don't know me. My name's Ryan Leinberger, but um, I was drawn to your church when you guys did the Brown County Revival because what you don't know is year before that, I felt like that was on my heart. And so I felt, I felt drawn to this place. But as I was sitting there today, I didn't come in here ready to do this. That wasn't my intention. I just was going to do church as normal. Um, But when Matt came up, I think it was his name, the hugger. Yes. um, (laughs) He, when he came up here and I felt, I felt the Holy Spirit was coming on me because I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. When he touches you, yeah. <laughs> um, and when I was touched, it was a few years ago when I was praying for my father, and I'm still praying for him mm. to be touched. But I felt him, and, and like you, I, I understand what you're saying, and it's completely true. Is once yes. you've been touched by the Holy Spirit, yes. you know that feeling. Yes. And when you've had that conversation with him, yes. and I felt it, and God, when I feel that, I push him back because it's so much. Yeah. That I don't have any control. Yeah. I don't have any control over my emotions and the things that I'm thinking about. Yeah. And it's an awesome feeling, but yes. I, can't, I can't even listen to Christian music when I'm at work because I feel it <laughs> overwhelms me. Like, but I want to get to the point, the whole reason why is I was sitting there and I felt 
God was downloading me that he wanted me to come up here and pray. Yes. And, um, and I didn't because I'm new to this church and I don't know how I would be perceived. I didn't want to be made a fool. I didn't want to, I was like, maybe it's just me and it's in my head. But, um, so I didn't do anything and he was telling me things to, that I needed to pray about. And then you came up and I said, God, I said, I just need confirmation how I'm supposed to do this because I don't want to walk up. I don't even know who I'm going to walk up to and talk to. And you instantly, when you came up here, you paused and you felt that Holy Spirit. And when you paused, that was like God telling me in that you, when you went in and talk about, you know, that you feel like the church is marked and that you talked about the military, that was some of the things that he was talking to me about, about here. So the thing that God wanted me to pray about is he wanted, can I just go in prayer? Because yeah. I feel like that's when God downloads, can I, can I, can I hold this? Dear Heavenly Father, I just come to you right now. Uh, I just want you to speak through me as the things that you were downloading in me, Lord. I know I'm, I don't care if I'm making a fool out of myself right now, Jesus, but I don't want somebody in this house today to miss what you have for this church, dear God. And I just pray, dear God, that you would just begin to surround this place with your angels and your seraphim, dear God, and that you would just begin to encamp around us, dear God, and that you would just send your angels, Jesus. And dear Lord, I just pray right now that you would just fill the men in this household with the fire in their eyes, Jesus, of God, and that they would speak the flame of truth out their mouth over Brown County, and that they would, you would fill people with the, Holy, the fire of the Holy Spirit as you have touched me, dear God, that you would change people as you have changed me, Jesus, that you would just begin to embolden the men in this church, dear God, to stand firm, and dear God, raise them up. <laughs> that the men in his church would repent of what we've done, dear God, that we would begin to just stand bold on the word of your Lord, of your word, Jesus, and that we would set an example for this household and for people in the Brown County and that your revival would begin first with your men and, dear God, that we would repent. Dear God, that we wouldn't be ashamed, that we wouldn't be afraid to offend, dear God, but that we would be bold, not meanly, but stern in your word, and that the word of God is the truth, and that we would build our household up, dear God. I just pray that you would just fill this place, dear God. My family needs a touch from heaven, dear God. They're in Brown County, dear God. I need you to fill them in in this house, dear God, with your Holy Spirit so that revival can break out so that my family, it's, it's way later than what we realize right now, Jesus. I see, I see the times, dear God, and I just pray, dear Lord, that you would just give us discernment of how late it is, dear God, that you would break our hearts for what is to come if we don't get right with the Lord and those around us, dear God, that we wouldn't miss it, dear God. I just pray that we wouldn't just go through life, dear God, and miss what you had for us right here, and that we were disobedient and not laying down and repenting of the things that we've done, dear God. But, dear God, that you would just fill this place, Jesus. Dear God, you know that when I was a little boy, I'd walk in this place of Wallace's before church, dear God, that I felt your Holy Spirit. And we're in this same house, dear God. We're in this place that you turn this place into your house, Jesus. For a refuge for people in Brown County. And I just pray that you would just... Do that today, dear God. Dear God, the devil's attacking our children. Oh, you're attack they're attacking our children and our minds, making them depressed, making them feel like they're not valuable. But God, they were created in your image. We were all created in your beautiful image, dear God, and there's we're not flawed by what the world tells us. We're flawed. We're not flawed. We're beautifully created in your image. We are a child of God. And I, right now, dear God, I proclaim it in this house, dear God, that this is your house. And you are welcome in this place. We just want something different. We don't want what the world has. We want you, Jesus. 
We want you and only you. We don't want to go through church in the way that we've been trained to do church, dear God, but we want you to show us what church is. We want you to show us what the Holy Spirit has for us. Oh, dear God, I just thank you for being merciful over us. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for your blood. No matter how much the world wants to destroy the blood that's in us, and it's your blood, Jesus. They want, to, they want to change it, manipulate it, because they know that the power of God is in us. It's the blood that you created, Jesus. They hate it, dear God, because they know the power that's in it, Jesus. They know it. They hate us because they see Jesus. And I just want us all to have Jesus, dear God. And I just want to ask for forgiveness in Jesus' name. I pray, man. Amen. Amen. Woo. Thank you, Ryan. God bless you. Woo. Ryan's digging a well. Woo. So the Lord is, um, has decided he wants revival. Um, Many prophets have proclaimed it, and in our context, we've been talking about it. We've been proclaiming it. We've been stepping into it. We've been participating with it, and God's saying there's more, 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 and that prayer he just prayed is digging a well, and God is, he wants us, he's calling us to pray again, church, to pray, 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 because there's a great move coming, so consecrate yourselves, because tomorrow I will do great things among you, says the Lord. And you can take that for literally tomorrow, but I just mean very soon. So, amen? Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can I, I want to talk to you when this is over. Is that all right? All right. If you want prayer, our ministry team will be up here. Um, God bless you guys. Go grab your kids, and uh, we'll see you soon. <laughs>